This is Dr. Dave Overby, and I didn't make it to the Sweet 16 either. Oh. Uh, you're listening to the. <laughs> you're listening to the Kentucky basketball oblivion. It is uh, what is it? March twenty first, twenty twenty two, and it's the first full day of spring. So at least there's that. How glorious! And uh, isn't that perfect? Because the the message that came through for me as a way to having a more expansive conversation about these uh, sports events than the sort of typical ones you're getting elsewhere is that nature and art, you know, always significantly overrides sports. And that's one of the great failures of our culture is that we can't just simply enjoy sports and recognize that they're part of life. And by far, you know, their main value is the exercise that you get by actually participating in them. It's not to just sit and watch, um, which is what we're encouraged to do. Right. Um, but the, um, the fact that, um, it is the first day of spring. I just took a walk. It's just so great how warm it feels, how nice it is to be outside, to see those dots of yellow coming forth uh, in the ground. And then to very quickly, for a moment, just to bring it to art, uh, I had a really uh, wonderful exchange with a good friend of mine who is a, a painter out in Oregon and a former colleague from graduate school. So we're really good friends. And he actually texted me right before the Murray State St. Peter's game uh, to let me know he was watching and he was pulling for St. Peter's. And uh, we exchanged a few texts during the game. And um, of course, we know how that game turned out. But then, and this is something I was thinking. And um, you know, if you have someone who is is a, a good friend and you've had good conversations with, and I think I think you and I certainly um, are an example of that. In some ways, um, your minds kind of go on similar paths. And so as the game was winding down, uh, what was coming to my mind is like, you know, this is why art is really far and away uh, where it's at and what it's good to immerse your life in, uh, as opposed to these hardcore sports fans who immerse their lives, you know, immerse their lives uh, in, in sports. And so as the Murray game was finishing up, uh, my friend said, you know, well, you know, it was a tough game and, uh, you know, now it's back to painting. Right. And so he could just go uh, straight back into this world that is really, I think, you know, the wellspring of emotion and focus. Whereas for, again, these uh, sports fans, and I think the majority of sports fans, it just, it's totally distorted and extreme. And you've been very good, uh, uh, David, about, uh, making that point as well with regard to these uh, games. Yeah. So a quick background. I don't know if we mentioned it last week. People don't know shit about basketball. Um, <clears throat> not that we really talk much about sports. Usually it's uh, politically oriented if we do talk about it. I guess <clears throat> we, we will get into a slight uh, political category just the general critique of sports and their value in a second. But but uh, what happened, of course, the, unless you're under a rock, and of course, maybe some people that don't live in Kentucky don't know this, but there's this tournament, the NCAA tournament, it's March Madness. 
and right. uh, and the uh, in the first round, uh, uh, bo- both Murray State University, our hometown is Murray, Kentucky, and Murray State University is uh, embedded in the center of town. Uh, uh, they were playing uh, in the tournament as well as as always. You you know, occasionally Murray uh, State University MSU is in there, but Kentucky uh, nearly always is, <laughs> except for last year. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, so the f- first what happened the first round, uh, Kentucky loses <laughs> to St. Peter's and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it, of course, it was supposed to. It's always supposed to be a cream puff, right? When they're right, fifteenth. Right. It's one to sixteenth per thing. Uh, Kentucky was number two, and uh, and uh, St. Peter's was uh, uh, fifteen. Um, now, do a quick comment on: Are those numbers valid? I mean, are they really representative? You think of the what should of course rankings are subjective but there are statistics behind these things right right and um the answer is is yes the the seating was fair i think Uh and i would have said this before the tournament that if anything was unfair is that kentucky was not a a two seed because kentucky hadn't been playing well of late uh, they they really had the high point of their season in January with a big win over Kansas, but they didn't build on that. They certainly didn't Im- improve on it. Um, but uh, the the main point is uh, that uh, Kentucky should have had no problem beating yeah, St. Right. Peter's. And this mm-hmm. one um, empirical way, right, as kind of more maybe the basketball expert that you might call me, yeah. the, the statistician. Yeah. Right? Definitely, the, def- definitely an expert. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. I appreciate anyway, that. Yeah. Um, uh, one way that you can check that, right, is uh, look at the other three regions, right, and see how the two and 15 games went. And you want to take a wild guess what happened <laughs> in all the other two and 15 games, Dave? <laughs> well, it always went to the two, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And and most of the time, uh, that's what happens. And I think that maybe this was the 15th time since they've been seeding mm-hmm. the the tournament, which I think goes all the way back to 1979. <laughs> it's like I think that the number 15 seed has beaten the two in the first round. Like the, the record in all those games is, is like 15 and like 146. <laughs> right. So it was a joke that. <laughs> It should have been no problem. And I have said this consistently about the way John Calipari plays and coaches is that he doesn't just try to assemble a team that's an offensive machine and just blow people out. And that if you're to win tournaments, win the NCAA tournament, you've got to win six straight games. And it's all but impossible to do that by them always being close. And that was the big problem for Kentucky against St. Peter's is the game was always close. Kentucky never pulled away like like they should have. And what was really just absolutely pitiful and why I think for sure John Calipari shouldn't be the coach of Kentucky anymore was the way that Kentucky once again fell apart in the final three minutes of an NCAA tournament game. It was pretty much a carbon copy of what happened to the 2015 team against Wisconsin. Uh, Kentucky had a four-point lead 
with about four minutes to go in that game uh, and then scored three points the rest of the way uh, and, and lost. And then in this game, Kentucky had a six-point lead with uh, three minutes to go, and uh, uh, St. Peter's actually came back and had a one-point lead in the final minute. And Kentucky finally got uh, Kellen Grady, their expert three-point shooter, to make one three-pointer, like in the final minute of the game, like your best three-point shooter finally makes one. That should be a red flag. That should tell you there's something wrong with how Calipari puts these teams together and develops them. Certainly with his uh, inability to work with shooters should be uh, a consensus that he can't do this at this point. Uh, And then St. Peter's got it into overtime and then won – and in overtime, Kentucky was one of six at the free throw line. Uh, in addition, on top of the fact that Kentucky blew a three-point lead, Kentucky had a 75-72 lead in overtime, and then lost. And I was more kind of just blown away <laughs> at what I was watching than I was anything yeah, yeah. else. I was like, "Are they really going to lose?" Because you know me, Dave. I've been a pretty harsh critic of Calipari. Uh, for some time now, really going back to when they lost that opener against Duke by 34 points in the 2018-19 season, then lost to Auburn in overtime in the regional final, and they've been on a decline. Certainly last year, 9-16, and 16, right, and everybody's given them a free pass. But here's where I think we can bring this to the political conversation that you were telling our uh, listener about, which is our main focus, which is, the hierarchy of our culture and that you can't seem to question or criticize much less eviscerate and basically just <laughs> kick his ass out of town. Uh, John Calipari, yeah. like why is this person still here? And I honestly, they want to know what you think, not just from a basketball perspective, but this political uh, theme that we work with over time. Well, yeah, I think, I think it, it's indicative of a broader uh, part of business culture, academic culture, um, that basically the rich are worshipped, especially if you're a CEO or, or you're a, a, which basically co- the coaches are, right? Exactly uh, what John Calipari is at the top of the hierarchy. Yeah, he's top of the hierarchy, and um, their their very high pay is just it's like. Um, it's sort of like the the blood of the aristocrats, you know. I have the blood, and therefore, you know, I'm worth it, right? I'm mm-hmm. um, I'm worth this. Um, uh, when it's ever it's questioned, somebody's paid too high. It's like, well, you know, where are you going to find? A, yeah, well, but also it's it's like, um, uh, how are you going to find anything good unless you pay these kind of money? Everybody else pays this much, so you have to pay this much. And, that's what it's worth, and uh, this kind of uh, talk, um, and w- which kind of, in the case of, yeah, the coaches, it's it really is extreme with this. Um, now, in the corporate world, when um, CEOs fuck up, they generally have a parachute, right? It's always. Um, you know, it's never that you can't go get another CEO job. Uh, rarely, if you're part of the club, you're taken care of, right? The the aristocracy, the the CEO, the corporate ownership class. Um, uh, 
And uh, so you're invested, right? So you're basically, you can't ever lose, right? So, right. I mean, so that that kind of, I think, bleeds over to a certain extent to this culture uh, uh, that's around um, uh, Calipari, this UK um, uh, culture, administrative culture, I think is a, a large part of the problem there. And and, and especially bad, I would think, in Kentucky, because at uh, the University of Kentucky, because of the the worship level of the game, right? So basically, right. Calipari is this god person. You know, he's not like somebody that's supposed to. You know, it's kind. Of, it's even different. It's more uh, ethereal than more religious than definitely a business because superhuman. Yeah, because I mean, for one thing, in a business, there are the numbers. You know, you got your sales. You got uh, now. Let's there's exceptions with these um, <laughs> uh, companies like Google or Tesla or Apple or these kind of things. They transcend this. But regular companies, generally, it's important that you like <laughs> your income goes up, revenues up, everything. <laughs> everything's looking good, you know, that's important. So if you're like a loser, a long time loser, you're like losing money and you're head of a corporation, uh, generally you're not going to stay for 13 years. Right. Uh, and, uh, so let's just extend this to Cal Perry. Of course he sh- should have been gone a long time ago. I mean, and, and this, Oh, we just have to keep, going with him he's he's like a, a supreme court justice you know he's there for life uh, it's just, it's right amazing, i mean amazing and pathetic talk about hierarchy i mean that's almost like a, a monarch isn't it <laughs> yeah right i mean if he can just keep going like that um so has, has there been what are the rumblings in the media and people online and Stuff. Well, okay. let's see. Um, those are definitely good things to think about. Uh, uh-huh. There were a couple of quick points I wanted to make before I got to that. But since you did bring that up, and don't let me forget about the other things I was going to say, okay? Because there's okay. like three things that I'm, are circling in my head. But I'm All glad right, well, you asked well, about the media because the, the way I would assess that, right, again, as the expert, is to just sort of back up and look at the big picture. And I say this. As long as John Calipari is still there, it doesn't matter what anyone in the media is saying, because obviously they're not really saying the right thing. Right. I mean, if there were really the the uh, what should be being said at this point, like there should be absolute vitriol and outrage about this. Like what is going on in Lexington should be in big, bold letters right in the on the misleader. Right. But instead, and this can bring it back to my cultural thing, right? You did a good job of talking to the political. I'm going to bring it to the cultural. and I'm going to bring back one of your really good ideas of la-la land, right? What's happened is Kentucky basketball has decided that they're going to make it. They're just going to go full on into la-la land. Like it was always halfway there, right? There was always a little bit of sort of... Um, like shine smeared on the the whole world with the way people look at Kentucky basketball, right? That it's a religion and they worship it and all of that. But it was still at least about basketball, right? In that we all understand that it's a game 
and the object of the game is to win. And when it comes to Kentucky basketball, as it does with other championship pedigree programs in basketball and all sports, the expectation is that you win championships, right? So what happened after 2015 when Kentucky blew its chance at this uh, historic undefeated championship season, losing another game that they never should have lost, right? Instead of coming to grips with it, they just went into total denial and said, we're going to rebrand Kentucky basketball as we are the greatest program because all of our players uh, go pro. And, of course, the Kentucky fans, because they worship it, right, like you can't go to church and question what the priest says. You can't say, yeah, but wait a second. I thought that you said what this was about was this, and now you're saying this, or, uh, you know, like, well, we we lost, so that's bad, right? (laughs) Instead of, no, it isn't. This isn't what you want. You don't want to win championships. You want to see the player go pro. Yay. Right? Um, but so that's la la land, right? It's, it's just permanently being in, I'm, I'm not going to look at what's actually real, right? I'm not going to look at what actually happens on the court. Like here's one way to look at where Kentucky basketball is right now. Uh, the final score of the Kentucky St. Peter's game was 85 to 79 at the end of regulation. It was tied at 71. The final score of the second round game, St. Peter's victory over Murray state was 70 to 60. Right, so Murray State gave up 70 points to St. Peter's. Kentucky gave up 71 points to St. Peter's in regulation. So what does that tell you about Kentucky and Murray State? They're even, right? Kentucky (laughs) is not any better than Murray State. They're basically the same team. I mean, yes, Kentucky got the 71 points, Murray got 60, but they both lost. They both, both teams got outplayed. Both teams uh, got poorly uh, from uh, the three-point line, and you know, and basically- and, and against St. Peter's, it's two. They played very well, I thought, uh, against both of them. Well, they did what winning teams did: was they made the plays they had to make when they had well, to make them. But I also thought they had a, a quite um, special ability inside, which is interesting. It seems like they really figured out as, as a team how to attack these tall guys and get in there and and get the ball in right so that's what yeah, i was saying that's a very good point and, and, that, uh, and i think that's very interesting because it's like this um smaller team um maybe less talented whatever uh they kind of got together and i assume with coaching skills too uh they figure out how how they can work against these tall teams uh, and kind of compensate so um yeah i think it would be uh, even, uh, you know, maybe there are, are they a decent three point shooting team or, uh, St. Peter? Well, they, uh, my take on the three pointer, especially in the NCAA tournament is that, um, the, the main thing that, that helps you win with the three pointer is that you, you hit the threes when you need them. Mm-hmm. And, and especially, uh, late, like under three minutes, uh, St. Peter's had this uh, uh, player with the uh, the mustache. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 the white guy. And, right. Uh, but, man, <laughs> I mean, he hit those clutch three-pointers. Like, he made them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Kentucky just uh, hasn't had any kind of three-point shooting like that since 2014. 
Yeah. Eight years ago, that would have been Aaron Harrison, who shot 50% from three-point range and made game-winning three-pointers in three consecutive games in the regional semifinal against Louisville, in the regional final against Michigan, and in the national semifinal against Wisconsin. All three games from the left wing, uh, Aaron Harrison hit three-pointers in the final minutes of games. Against Michigan and Wisconsin, it was in the final 10 seconds. He had three-pointers to uh, give Kentucky the lead in the game that they would go on to win. Going into the national championship game against UConn, Aaron Harrison was 14 of 25 on three-pointers. And, of course, what that should tell you is if you want to win championships, you have to be a really good three-point shooting team. Uh, You at least – uh, maybe you don't have to be really good, but you, it has to be something that you're able to use uh, mm-hmm. as a way to win. And one of the many reasons, uh, to bring it back to John Calipari, who we, at least if you'll indulge me, and let me emphasize like <laughs> why he needs to be gone from Lexington, is that he's just not a good coach, is at the end of the year, Kentucky was exactly the same team as it was on November the 9th for its very first game. Right, Ty Ty Washington, this great, the next great Calipari guard, uh, did not have a good game against Duke. He had a very poor game against um, St. Peter's. Washington was held to two points during regulation, uh, finished with five because he hit that three pointer uh, at the end of overtime, which actually gave Kentucky still a chance to win, but they never really made any big plays um, the, the whole game. And this idea that basically after the St. Peter's game, as Calipari was saying, we were trying to get the ball inside to Sheebway, which is Oscar Sheebway, who has had a really good year, had 30 points, 15 rebounds, another double-double. Um, but that's, that's, all, that's all Kentucky did the entire year, right? So um, just to make a joke to think about my, uh, my late cats, right? You might remember the Von Goodnesses. Remember my cats, Dave? Oh, yeah, I remember. It always it always makes me happy to be able to talk about it, but it's it's kind of like the mindset of the uh, the male cat, the big fuzzy, and the way he would want to get the Mernish's food, right? His his sister's food. It was like, get the Mernish's food, get the Mernish's food, get the ball inside the Sheboy, get the ball inside the Sheboy, right? It's like it's that same very almost primitive uh, brain. Like you never thought, like over the course of the whole season, like you need to develop other ways to win. You never thought, like what happens if either uh, Sheway gets in foul trouble, or he just doesn't. Their defense is on him so much that he can't score, um, or maybe it just won't be enough to win. Which obviously it wasn't, right? You would think if all you need to do in basketball is get the ball inside. Um, and your big man has 30 points and 15 rebounds, no problem. You've, you've won that game. And it was a struggle for Kentucky the whole night. And here's the thing. Here's, the, again, to, to bring some empiricism so that it isn't just total speculation, which is, and this is how you can actually do real sports journalism. And uh, before we finish with the bi- basketball, there are a couple of statistics I want to bring up. But let me make this point. Here's a way to, you make some good points about St. Peter's, right? You're, uh, it did surprise me that St. Peter's had the success scoring inside uh, both against uh, Kentucky and Murray State. I thought with K.J. Williams, Murray State would have, have the advantage inside on St. Peter's, but that did not happen. Um, 
and that was the big reason that St. Peter's won the game. Also, Tevin Brown had a bad game, and if your best player has a bad game in the tournament, you're done. Uh, and that's what happened to, to Murray. Um, uh, but let's see. So, but the question is, is St. Peter's really that good? And they did this amazing thing with figuring out how to score inside. Or is really what happened that Kentucky was not that good and Murray State was an overrated team playing in a relatively weak conference, which I think the OVC is. I mean, I just – So, so your, your conclusion is that um, Davis – obviously out overperformed, but they're not at elite level and they probably won't make it. Uh, you mean, uh, you mean St. Peter's? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not drawing a conclusion yet. What I'm saying is there's a way to test this, right? Which okay. is to let's see what happens to St. Peter's in the, in the next round where they right. will play. Well, what, would, what would your prediction be? I mean, are you my saying prediction is, is that they're gonna, gonna get going to obliterate St. Peter's? Okay. I'll pretty much guarantee you that that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Right. If it lights out. Because they, they'll know how they're playing. They'll be able to uh, compensate, and they can actually play the ball. <laughs> can play pretty well, so they'll think so, Peter's they're not going to be able to. Purdue is actually a really good team. Right. Right. So the, as the problem is, is that. <clears throat> well, what would you have? What would you have to do to beat St. Peter's if you were? Well, I don't oh, think you have to do anything. I think you just I think if you're Purdue, I think that you just have to uh play a good solid game and you'll just destroy them. Like cuz mm-hmm. you're better than they are. Right. I don't that's what I'm saying. I don't think St. Peter's has any chance. I think right. the reason that St. Peter's beat Kentucky is Kentucky was uh, both overrated and poorly coached. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason they beat Murray State is that um Murray State had a, another good team that had a good year, but not a great year. And uh, the fact is the, the OVC just is not that tough. And that, the fact Murray State plays in the OVC is a big reason that um, they, had, they went 18-0 and 0 and had that in, in, incredible record. Very fast, two quick statistics uh, to show that this is not a fluke with – Kentucky, this has been an ongoing problem. Uh, Over their last seven NCAA tournament games going into the St. Peter's game, Kentucky's three-point shooting had been 27.9%, right? That's pathetic. That's terrible. 26 out for 93 over three games in 2018 and four games in 2019, right? The last six games of the regular season this year, Kentucky three-point shooting was 27.7%, right? That's two one-hundredths of a point of being the same number. (laughs) That's a pattern, right? It was 25 for 90. So they get into the St. Peter's game, and what did Kentucky shoot against St. Peter's? Four of 15, right? Guess what percentage that is? (laughs) (laughs) 27.6%, right? So you cannot say that it's just a fluke, that Kentucky just had a bad game, that everybody's Super Bowl. All of these excuses that you make for the overlord, John Calipari, right? Um, And then uh, it's a pattern, right? 
Calipari can't coach. He can't work with shooters. He doesn't know how to run a half-court set. He doesn't know how to encourage the shooters. He doesn't know how to use three-point shooting to his advantage, right? Uh, St. Peter's outscored uh, Kentucky 27-12 to from the three-point line. So Kentucky got outscored by 15 points from the three-point line. The game went into overtime, and they lost, right? That is why you lost. And then in overtime, you had to make it even worse by going one for six. But another thing that's, that's obvious is that clearly Calipari's teams don't have any confidence anymore, right? Like Kentucky was uptight. They were definitely really nervous in overtime. Like one for six on free throws shows you they were nervous, right? And you're not well coached if you don't have – part of your job as a coach is to build confidence, right, in everyone and in the team. And to have some emotions going on just besides, I'm nervous and we better not lose. Oh, my God, we can't lose. We can't lose. Right. And then the and the, and the, the, and the coach is fussing and the coach is fussing at me and, you know, not things are not going well. And he's fussing at me and he's like, right. right. I, I don't like, feel like I'm being. Yeah. And the, if you if you saw the Kentucky St. Peter's game, like the St. Peter's coach, uh, seemed pretty relaxed and confident like the whole game and the St. Peter's players seemed excited. Like this was a chance to play basketball. This was a chance to win in the NCAA tournament. You know, Kentucky doesn't look at it that they're not emotionally connected. You know, they're all on their separate agendas. This one's saying about going pro this one might or might not. These might transfer. I mean, they're just clearly not together emotionally at all. And that's what happens when you have all this turnover for so long and it's also what happens when you have a coach who's really just a, a, a showman and is really just using Kentucky basketball for his own um, agenda right his own kind of self-promoting agenda and in, in creating this crop of elites that go on to the pros um, last thing with the three-point shooting the best three-point shooters for Kentucky in the games in which they lose in the NCAA tournament. 2022, Kellen Grady, one for eight. 2019, Tyler Hero, one for five. Uh, 2016, Jamal Murray, one for nine. See a pattern there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you think the chances are of, of Calipari leaving? Um, well, I think the fact that he's not already gone means that there is not going to happen. You know, they're just mm -hmm. going to keep like in like. East yeah, because you're right. I mean, it seems like it, like football, say uh, pro football, right? If they're like just terrible, they don't keep them for very long. Like it's even the case, I guess, with basketball, right? If you're a coach and you're just miserable. They're not going to keep you for years and years in the position, right? I mean, they'll give Both you some Calipari time to try to. <laughs> and the administration are really riding the 2012 championship that Calipari got. Right. But, you know, it's one thing to say it's been two years since you've won a championship. You should be fired. And it isn't just that, right? Like, here's what I think. I think that if you, if, if you're going to be at a, championship level program and and there are those types of programs and kentucky is certainly one of them um 
at some point, if you want to um, earn your keep, you have to win a national championship. If you don't have the stomach for that, or if that just seems like it's a ridiculous expectation, that's not the kind of job that you take, and you don't put your career on that kind of tra- trajectory. Um, but you have to win a national championship. Now, here's the thing. You, you, a coach wins a national championship, and of course you can't say, oh, no, we have to win every single year. But what you do want to see is that you're always pretty good and that you should be always advancing uh, deep into the tournament. And Cal Perry made an interesting uh, comment that I think gives away that he basically sees his teams as interchangeable and that the players are kind of interchangeable parts where he says, you know, my job is to, you know, put a team together every year that can, can contend for a championship. And that's not how you go about it. What you do is you want to have a program where once every four or five years, you have a team that doesn't just contend for a championship, but no doubt about it is going to be there right at the end. See, because what Kentucky is now is it's in a rut. And it's the same thing every time. Like the last year's team was just horrible. And this year's team was like the ones that, that they've had since 2016. They're just, they're good, but they're not at all great. And they're kind of just tiresome. And who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's just, unfortunately, I guess this is, this is going to how it's going to be. It's going to be like um, Danny Crum or, somebody or they excellent point right the way that you know what which, the way which is louisville which is the long time what's what was yeah. the period for denny crumb at the university of louisville basketball from 1986 until 2001 wow he was he was still there right and he did win he did had a few winning years well, but here's the thing. He did not get back to the Final Four after 1986. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that is a... <clears throat> and that's the, that's the, that is the argument for not just clinging to um, these gods like it's a teddy bear, right? And you can't let go of it. Um, like, you can get somebody else. For example, th- I was just thinking this. Like, Kentucky could hire uh, Rick Pitino. Uh, and I actually did see one comment on the media uh, that said, you know, bring back the, the prodigal son. Uh, um, and there was a picture of Pitino coaching the 1996 national championship team. Um, and so, uh, let's see. Um but you could bring Patino in right now with a transfer portal. Rick Patino could put together a Kentucky team that would have just as good a chance of making a Final Four run as what Calipari would do coming into next year. And at this point, I would say a better chance because I just can't see it happening. Like, how many times does it, does Kentucky lose for the same reason? And do they? Uh, are clearly just their players are nowhere near as good as the, the real studs that they, that he did bring in early on. 
And this is why, you know, basketball is not higher order thinking, right? I mean, it is not some sort of intellectual endeavor the way that the uh, propagandistic um, East Berlin media try to make it seem, right? It's, um, it's about talent. And that's why uh, all winning sports organizations are, are good about identifying talent and being able to get it right. And, and not, uh, not having big drops off in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, you'll see on either Thursday or Friday night when Purdue destroys St. Peter's, uh, and I like Purdue as the final four team, uh, they'll play the winner of UCLA and North Carolina. Anyway, while I'm still on a roll, obviously, Here's another point that shows you how bad John Calipari is. Two teams that Kentucky beat in the regular season, right, uh, by pretty large margin, since that those meetings have clearly improved, while Kentucky uh, not only just plateaued, but clearly got worse going in uh, to tournament time. Uh, and those two teams would be North Carolina and Kansas. Uh, North Carolina led Baylor by as many as 25 points before winning in overtime. And then Kansas uh, dispatched with uh, their second round opponent, which is uh, Creighton, uh, which once again showed that they, like Murray State, can't ever get past the second round. But Kentucky beat both of those teams. They beat North Carolina 98 to 69. Um I remember that game because it was a week after the Mayfield tornado. Um, and so that was kind of a context for it. And then Kentucky's highlight of the year was going into Lawrence, Kansas, where it's very difficult to win. And they beat Kansas 80 to 62. At that time, it was like you had to like Kentucky. But now you have North Carolina and Kansas in the Sweet 16. And you have Kentucky not there because they lost to number 15. So, uh, what, what happened, so what happened with those two things? Well, the main thing I'm trying to point out is that it's it's a way to gauge how well coached a team is, right? North Carolina got better, right, Uh, in January and February. Kansas got better from January to the end of the year. Kentucky did not, right? Is this the same team coaching the same thing? I mean, did they get worse or? Well, I think Kentucky did get worse. I, I just think that they um, they were overrated, but they um, uh, they never really made any effort to keep um, building and developing and improving their team. I mean, it, it's kind of like what I was saying about Shibway earlier that the nonstop emphasis on him and the individual accolades he was receiving for his great play that they never thought like. You need to bring something else along, right? Like it's so that we want Kentucky, the team, to win. Um, what's been suspect for some time, as I pointed out with the three-point shooting with Kentucky, is that just the the guard play and the three-point production has been pretty bad. And since Calipari has never corrected that, uh, that once again proved to be a um, – a, um, Right. Yeah, it's it's almost. I noticed that it was like it's almost like they didn't have a guard. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Like, but they just weren't. 
able to impact the game, right? Like, yeah, they, they couldn't. Yeah, I mean, the mustache. I mean, your the point guard's kind of the lead guy, right? He's up there. He's usually taking the ball down, right? Um, right. He's kind of. You got to have that kind of guy to. The leader. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty important in basketball, don't you? I mean, it's not like a. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it's not like the utopian society necessarily where you're gonna. It's just a competitive game, and so you kind of need that uh, to focus. Uh, otherwise, how could you execute the plays? Well, yeah. and I would just I, what I would point out is um, I think that you you have to be able to test and support the claims that people make about who's a good coach and who isn't. And there are ways to do that. And any real professional journalist, and I think any real basketball fan would know how to do this. And you look at how a team, you you ask yourself, does a team get better, right? Are the problems that a team has in December and January, are those actually corrected? Right. I looked at North Carolina play against Duke at the end of the regular season, and I've watched them play two games in the NCAA tournament, especially the second round game against Baylor. And they are clearly a different team than what I saw in December, like much better. It's like, wow, they're actually pretty good now. Right. Whereas in December, I thought, you know, this program is still in a rebuilding stage. So it's you don't have to argue about it like yes hubert davis the north carolina coach has done a good job with this team really done an excellent job right because it's they're they're way better than i expected and i didn't hear anybody the uh, uh, pegging north carolina back in february to be a sweet 16 team and the thing with kansas is that they're a good team and you know they didn't come off of that big loss at home to Kentucky and then flounder for the next um, two months the way Kentucky did last year when uh, they lost to Alabama at home by 20 points and then proceeded to lose six of their next seven games, right? The good coach, Bill Self, doesn't let that happen. It's like we have to get better now, like real fast. And you've never seen that urgency or that kind of attitude with John Calipari. It's always about how great Kentucky is, now he's number one, and how, well, it just didn't uh, work out this time, right? And now the fans are crazy, and they can't expect to win all the time, and the other team played well, and all of these excuses, right? And it's kind of, I think for me, all of that brings it back to the points that you've been good about making, which is that in this culture, there is no way to question or hold accountable the CEO, the person at the top of the hierarchy. For me, you know, my argument that America isn't capitalist is, this is certainly anti-competition, right? The emphasis isn't on winning. It's about this spectacle of this parade of players that go to the pros. This year, it's been about Shibway and the accolades that he gets. He's going to be player of the year, player of the year candidate, and all this stuff right but a competitor wants to win win right you don't see that happening and then with calipari it doesn't seem to matter that he does not win 
And when you were talking about the NFL coaches, what came to mind for me is Nick Saban, the coach at Alabama football, right, NCAA college football. And certainly at Alabama by now, if Nick Saban had only won one national championship, and if he were coming off a season where Alabama had done something and lost to a football team like St. Peter's, right, that same kind of level, um, Nick Saban would have been long gone from Tuscaloosa. Um, but just in case you, you're, uh, the, the, the argument that maybe St. Peter's is really good, we'll have a chance to see what happens against mm. Purdue. And I will say if, if, even if St. Peter's loses, but they play Purdue really tough, then I'll step back and say, well, okay, this was an example where this one time the team seated number 15 was definitely better than a 15 seed. But mm. guess what? That is not going to happen. You <laughs> will destroy um, St. Peter's. All right. Here's a prediction. So, yeah, let's. what else is going on in the world other than basketball? Um, well, of course, there's the U word. Um, uh, well, to tell you the truth, everybody's um, irradiated with that subject. The rest of the media. Uh, there, there wouldn't be anything else going on besides the Ukraine war. Um, and I'll have to admit, it's been kind of refreshing to take a break uh, from the just um, apocalypse and uh, <laughs> indulge, you know, the, the basketball. And, uh, have a little pure entertainment. Well, and not just pure entertainment, but it's also um, another angle uh, from which to examine the cultural and political uh, right. issues that we. Yeah. So uh, speaking of hierarchy, there, there's a, well, I think that the, the thing that's so astonishing, like you were saying, is just the unanimity of, of the mainstream media. It is just constantly talking. Okay. About well, it. let's, uh, let me just jump in for a second and, and bring that to Ukraine. Right. Uh, all right. Or was yeah. that what you were going to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was saying was okay. that yeah. that's that's all that it's doing uh, is um, paying attention to Ukraine. Uh, but the unanimity and the the message, you know, every, everybody, all the mainstream media is talking about it and you know, anti-Russia, blah, blah, blah. But then the coordination uh, with all these companies, especially like the online companies and their Dropping uh, the online companies dropping anything Russian, you know, we can't have that anymore. And uh, you know, you gotta and uh, firing people because for that are Russian that aren't denouncing Putin. That's happening a lot. Uh, uh, the economic sanctions against Russia are, of course, just awful. I mean, it's. Uh, going to cause incredible misery to the people of Russia. It's not going to uh, change the outcome uh, <clears throat> at all as far as the war. Uh, already, I was just going today, $4 gasoline. Uh, the diesel's $5. Got a diesel truck. Uh, you know, it's going to cause problems with us our involvement within this this war and uh just uh and not even 
not even speaking of War Three and <laughs> you know it, the end, the apocalypse, like you were saying. Um, uh, yeah, it's just really disturbing, and I'm uh, pretty upset about the whole thing. I'm not. Yes, yeah, that needs to be said. I am too. Uh, it's just exasperating. Uh, well, um, like you said early on, uh, it's a great opportunity for the Biden administration to ignore its utter failures, uh, utter failure. Uh, um, um, it's quite, been quite successful with that. Well, uh, to bring it back to this idea of a hierarchy um, that in the way you can't question what's at the top of the hierarchy, I think one thing I see in the American uh, coverage of the Ukraine war is how you can't question um, the U.S. military and that the, uh, the New York Times, for example, has this article, you want to talk about propaganda, right? It says... Um, Russia has already lost uh, more troops in you know, three weeks of war than America lost in uh, 20 years of war in Afghanistan. So basically, Afghanistan was a success, right? Like it doesn't matter <laughs> the num that anyone was killed, that the war happened. You know, it just makes it seem like nothing really bad happened. Uh, in the Afghanistan war. And it's like, but if it doesn't matter how many American soldiers died, what difference does it make how many Russian soldiers die in the Ukraine war? Uh, And certainly what you don't see across the whole uh, bandwidth of all media is you don't see, of course, any anti-war and anti-military buildup, anti-military spending and and anti-imperialist um, messaging, none. You know, it's you can say Putin's bad, but no one can say war is bad. Certainly, no one can say that our foreign policy is a sham because it's not a deterrent, right? And if there was one defense for our astronomical military spending, right, like over seven hundred billion a year, isn't it? Yeah. Wow, man. You want to talk about big government spend, spend, spend. I mean, that's crazy. Like, if you don't want to talk about that, don't talk to me about anything else. Like, don't talk to me about how expensive it is to give a a child tax credit if you had no problem spending that kind of money. But if there was a defense for spending that kind of money, it was that it was a deterrent, right? Because the crazies in the other part of the world, I want to do this, I want to do that. Well, I won't because. America is this big, badass military empire and we'll get crushed. But that doesn't happen. You know, we can't do that, you know, risk of nuclear war. Um, And our problem is, is that it's really just total corruption, right? There's, uh, you mentioned last week that the the policy is never de-escalate, right? And what I think it is, it's escalate right up until the very, very, very brink, right? Like the whole 1980s 
of these nuclear submarines getting all their, you know, coordinates of, you know, where to launch their uh, nuclear missiles and, and to, to do these other things. And uh, then uh, their last order at the end of the day is don't launch. And they get the next day and they do the whole thing. Right. It's bringing everything to the brink, which is, you know, where we've gotten ourselves yet again. And then basically pay, play a game of chicken and see who's going to finally uh, back off and relent. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I don't, you know, the, at, at least, <laughs> at least the Biden administration doesn't seem to want to do a no fly zone, uh, of course, because I mean, that, that will <laughs> make it highly likely there would be a nuclear war then, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I think it might be good for you uh, to uh, remind uh, both myself and the listener exactly what no-fly zone means. Well, uh, no-fly zone is basically nothing can fly in the zone, and we're going to shoot down anything in the zone. So that would require uh, us to shoot down Soviet planes um, over Ukraine, right? so uh, that would call a retaliation, you know, we would, they would retaliate. That's how armies do, you know, they're, if you're going to get in the conflict like that, you're going to shoot down our planes, we're going to be shooting your planes down, you know, so we're going to well, shoot some of their, pl- we're going to missile send, they're going to send a missile into Moldova or something. Uh, right. If you want to, if you want to send the, uh, Poland. Yeah. If, if if you want to stay out of the conflict, you can't shoot down other people's planes. Yeah. So even though Manchin being Mr. Hawk and saying we need a fly, no fly zone and uh, beating his chest, I you know I think that um, not to say that there are some elements and and uh, the military brass or uh, joint chiefs, I guess is what it's called. Uh, ones that are speak directly to the president, the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, you know, there may be some that are psychos that want to know what's up. But, uh, so far, it looks like the consensus is not the so, But at least there's that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think one of the, I heard a podcast today, and she had a pretty good point, which is that, uh, uh, you know, ba- basically, we have a case of Russia. They don't want to be part of the the, the global uh, finance system uh, that the U.S. leads and imposes on everybody uh, through the dollar and their their power. Uh, and, but now we're like going to like cut them totally out of the world system, you know, for this Ukraine thing. So it's going to be an interesting experience, you know, experiment, and how much harm will that inflict on them? Uh, I think there's a lot of unforeseen consequences in, in doing this to, to countries like that. Um, well, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, if um, if it's sort of been Russia's plan all along, right, to kind of undermine American supremacy by saying we, we don't yeah. need to be in a marketplace that's totally dominated by them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Right. Yeah. Well, it it becomes difficult right now for them because the world market is all in the dollar, right? So, and we're basically made it where 
banks can't, you know, the oil money, especially, I mean, mostly Russia is a petrol state. So uh, we're kind of cutting them off from being able to get any funds, uh, getting paid for the oil. So it's going to, it's going to be pretty rough on that, but it's going to be really rough on us unless we can, uh, and this has already been, Right, I mean, it happened to a certain extent. Equal and opposite reaction, right? Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say that Venezuela, we need their oil now, right? Because if we're not gonna get it from Russia, we got to get it from Venezuela. So there, there's already been uh, sawing of this situation, or now, now, we're, now suddenly we're friends with Venezuela. Right? They're not so bad. Uh, yeah, they're not so bad after all. So uh, we need a lot of the oil if we're if prices are going to be should, uh, not $10 a gallon, you know, maybe I should book my uh, next vacation for Caracas. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think anywhere in South America would be awesome. Or, or South America. America. Have you? No, no. I've never been, never been South of the border. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm afraid to go down there. I get raped. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to go to the. Uh, as long as you don't drink the water, you'll be fine. I'd like to go to the Oaxaca region of Guatemala or Mexico. Um, uh, eat a bunch of mushrooms, man. It's where the mushroom cults are. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So we're, the world didn't know about it until there was, there was this um, there was a shaman that kind of brought it out uh, and uh, to the west. So you know you got to think that. I can't forget it. But anyway, yeah. So Venezuela is now our friend. I, I uh, think at least at the very least. Um, Sometime uh, I'm in Southern California. Maybe one of these days I should just uh, pop across the border, man. Take, take take a walk into Tijuana. I mean, can't you do that? You can just walk in there. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. Do you need a passport to get in? The, you probably need. I think you passport. Do, yeah. yeah. So if you got a passport, go in. Say here I, I am in Mexico. I don't, think you need, I don't think you need a visa. Get a. Uh, I would think not. I mean. Uh, Right, you might need a visa to get back into the United States if you're an American <laughs> citizen. Well, after after you get a good cavity search, and they've uh, uh, right. I mean, if you don't have a right to vote, and you don't have a, you can't verify who you are, and you can't get your driver's license renewed. Yeah, well, that's when you're really reminded you live in a police state when you cross back into the cross the U.S. border. It's always a and you definitely feel like welcome, a welcome home to a police, your police state. You're you're an intruder. You're not. You know this is this is their place. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go, um, make a couple a little comment just because I'm ignorant. Uh, what happened with Murray Murray High School, your alma mater, at the uh, uh, yes, 16th? Yeah, Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, 
Well, I actually had designs on um, driving uh, back uh, up there. Had uh, Murray won in the quarterfinals. Uh, un- unfortunately, uh, they lost uh, to Warren Central uh, Warren. by six points. Uh, Warren's, to, to Warren Central is where? Bowling Green. Bowling Green. Okay. Warren County. Yeah. And um, they, um, yeah, so, I mean, they had the lead going into the third quarter. And I, I would say, I mean, I was, uh, of, of all the, the losses, I mean, that was definitely the, the most heartbreaking because, I mean, that was probably it as far as my lifetime. <laughs> Could I ever actually see a, a Murray High basketball team win the state championship? Hmm. Uh, hmm. Which would have been incredible. But yeah. So, um, but, uh, at the same time, uh, I try to, it isn't, it isn't that big of a deal, but I I have to say of all the sports things, I mean, that definitely would have been been the biggest thing because Kentucky will be back in the NCAA tournament. And, um, I think Murray state will, you know, still have its chances down the road to maybe win a second game. Um, but with, with a, uh, a school like, uh, like Murray high, um, it's just really not realistic to think that they're even going to get to the state tournament that often. I mean, people have to remember it was 31 years in between, uh, 1985 and 2016, the last time that they went. And, um, I know you can say, well, yeah, but I mean, we went 2016, we wouldn't, you know, 2022. Uh, but, but again, especially if you're a smaller school, you know, the odds are is, okay, you kind of had a, a, a brief hot streak there and it probably will be another quarter century before you're going to have a group of players that are pretty close together coming up to the school system. That'll be this good at basketball, that you'll be this good as a team. Uh, and of course, Murray had to get past the first round and beat Henry Clay. Uh, but the other thing is, um, and this this is kind of uh, uh, heartbreaking, is Warren Central was the highest ranked of the remaining teams in Murray. Played them. Oh. Uh, so if Murray had if Murray had beaten them, uh, you would have to think, well, they can certainly really really win. And I don't know who won because it it upset me so much that Murray <laughs> lost. I just quit paying attention to it. Yeah, poor Dave. Well, all right. On that sad note, let's what's uh, on down the basketball lane. Basketball season is over, <laughs> and the first day of spring is here. <laughs> Hope will spring turn My co-host David Vernon Miller. This is Doctor. David W. Overby, and you've been listening to the Oblivion Podcast. Mm-hmm.